This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. It's great to be back on planet Earth. I was on another planet. It's called Texas. Welcome to the broadcast, Sunday, August the 28th. Is that right? It is that time. It is the 28th. It is the 28th. Ah, thank you. All right. Regardless of the planetary movements, it is the 28th here. Maybe someplace else, another time simpler else, but here it's the 28th. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Service, the director and our our co-pilot when we delve into UFOs and extraterrestrials. How are you, Victor? Just fine, thank you, Richard. And how have you been? I still have a little road dust in my throat, I think. I just uh, returned uh, uh, from an extended road trip. We landed in Fort Worth, Dallas on the, uh, the 16th of uh, August. And mm-hmm. we, I tell you, we covered just about every square inch of Texas, met some fascinating people. I, uh, I met Jim Mars at his home. Uh, I met a couple of Elvis uh, investigators. I met... Uh, Joseph Farrell, one of my favorite uh, authors, uh, John Rappaport from No More Fake News. Of out course, in California. No More Fake News. Yeah, yeah. All the luminaries in this field, I uh, I actually got to meet uh, some of them for the for the second time, but some I actually met face to face for the first time. Galen Ross, one of the great assassination researchers, met him and his lovely new bride down San Antonio Way, where it is so. I was just telling George Inescu, it is so dry in southern Texas. They have not had rain since a year ago, September. My goodness. The the, the the wells are drying out, and these people have livestock, and they can't grow feed. It's just you're driving across this vast desert, uh, and uh, I, I don't know how the people are po- uh, coping, but they do, and they're doing it with a smile on their face, and uh, I just uh, pray for rain while other parts of the country are praying for it to stop. I remember in 96 when uh, I went to Las Vegas and did the tour that we did throughout um, the, the the areas around Area 51 right. in the desert up there in the north of Las Vegas. And we went to some of the small towns, Rachel and Alamo, mm. and we asked them, when was the last time you had rain here? Because we saw the, 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 the desert. And the desert there is not sand as you and I would know it, but it's almost like 
Johnson's baby powder. It yes. It's so fine and yes. dry. And we asked people, when did it last rain here? And the, the response was, well, you know, Martha, I think it was four years ago. I think we had a sprinkle. Four years. And yeah. Yeah. And it was amazing how these people deal with the dryness. It's, uh, we, we did drive through uh, Death Valley, Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, and it is uh, an incredible sense of freedom in places like Texas, Nevada. I'll give you an example. I was in Pahrumpf. I did the show uh, in Pahrumpf on, uh, on Sunday night, and uh, much bigger town than I thought. You know, I, I thought there'd be a fill-in station and maybe a bordello, and uh, there was that, but there, they had a Home Depot and a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the, the high-speed Internet is, uh, connection was not what it might have been. So I did the show by phone, although I don't like to think I phoned it in, if you know what I'm saying. I know. Uh, however, um, but uh, I went across the street uh, from the hotel for a, uh, a late, uh, a late uh, nightcap and uh, paid my bill. And she said, would you like one more? And I said, no, I'm, I'm finished. She goes, you can take it back to your room. I mean, you, you, you don't even think about that sort of thing in, in, in Toronto. Of course. You know, taking a beer out of a bar across to your hotel room. <laughs> God bless them. It might evaporate. God bless them for that. It might evaporate in the interim. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, let's get this thing off and running. Victor Vigiani, of course, is here. That means that we're talking UFOs and ETs, and we will do that. Uh, Grant Cameron will join us a little bit later. Uh, you probably know him from his uh, tremendous work researching uh, president, uh, pre- presidential uh, uh, administrations, various uh, presidents across uh, history, and what they may have known about UFOs presidentialufo.com of the website. Uh, A little bit later, heads up, at uh, 1230, we'll check in with Richard Gage, of course, the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He'll be in town a little bit later. Uh, September the 4th is the Canadian theatrical debut of his new documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Experts speak out. And I'll tell you a little bit more about where and when you can see that uh, documentary. But Richard will join us uh, to talk about that as well at 1230. Uh, and we're also going to check in with um, uh, a spokesman for a, a ghost, a, a ghost and UFO conference coming up in uh, the Niagara Peninsula. And Victor, you're uh, you're a part of that, so you'll tell us a little bit more about that around sure. midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, let's uh, let's talk uh, um, uh, UFOs and uh, uh, not only presidential politics, mm-hmm. um, but just the the Herculean effort that some are making. Uh, to try and wrest this information away from uh, bureaucrats and others. Uh, for example, NASA. Uh, and one such gentleman is about to join us on the line here in just a minute. We'll, we'll take a time out, and then on the other side, we'll speak to Larry Bryant, a former Pentagon uh, employee turned UFO lawyer, lobbyist, and a Canadian UFO... Uh, sorry, uh, Grant Cameron is our Canadian UFO researcher, but uh, uh, Larry Bryant will be here, UFO lawyer, lobbyist, and the author of a number of books, including uh, UFO Politics at the White House. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett, along with Victor Vigiani. Hope you'll stay with us for the duration. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, 
AM 740. Larry Bryant's UFO research legacy began in 1957 when he became a member of the now-defunct Washington, D.C.-based National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Since that time, he has contributed to UFO ET-related articles, essays, book reviews, and commentaries to numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, and newsletters a specialist in exposing and challenging official UFO secrecy. He now writes a column, Bryant's UFO View, for the newsstand periodical UFO magazine. His longtime use of the U.S. Freedom of Information Act to ferret out various federal agencies' hardcore evidence of UFO reality has resulted in not just a history book, UFO politics at the White House, Citizens Rally Round Jimmy Carter's Promise, second edition was released in 2005, uh, but also in several FOIA lawsuits against such agencies as the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Central Intelligence Agency. In 2007, Gold Press published what Brian calls the world's longest book review, Conjuring Gretchen, the saga of Virginia's preacher hypnotist. And in 2010, he published his first work of fiction, a Fordian novella in the form of a, fic- a fictive memoir, conjoined the story of Rex and Roxanne, the world's first androgynous Siamese twins. Bryant resides in Alexandria, Virginia, retiring there in 1994 after 36 years of federal civil service in various writing editing positions. In the last few years, he's been publishing a weblog at www.ufoviewpostress.com and now supplemented by a free online online newsletter at um, tinyletter.com ufoview-updates. It's kind of difficult to, to remember that, so I've linked to it at uh, the website richardserrett.com. In any event, we're very happy to have Larry Bryant with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Good evening, Larry. Good evening to you, uh, Richard. I'm hoping that you're not too flooded out yet up there. Uh, not yet, not yet, but um, we're keeping an eye on things up here. And, and how are things down in uh, Virginia? Well, <clears throat> I, I survived the earthquake uh, a few weeks ago. Yes. My place rattled a little bit, so some UFO books actually fell off the shelf. I said, this cannot be. I must be in, a, in some sort of a nightmare. I was uh, sitting at my desk doing email, and, and I first felt the rumble along under my feet. And I looked up, and then I saw the, uh, some bookcases swaying. I said, well, this 100-year-old uh, complex I live in, uh, it had better be built as as well as I thought it was, and it, and it did uh, survive. And then, of course, the hurricane comes along and knocks some limbs off the trees in the backyard. But um, uh, <clears throat> I've been around long enough to, to know that uh, disasters only last so long, unless, of course, it's in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, and then it's just uh, it's like a you know a bus. Another one comes along every twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now you've you've it's speaking of uh, you know having uh, things rattled around. You're rattling a few cages yourself, uh, uh, Larry. You're you're becoming a bit of a fly in the ointment to, cer- to certain federal agencies. I'm told in your dogged pursuit of uh, of um, uh, UFO information uh, vis-a-vis uh, the FOIA. Well, years and years ago, um, one particular agency that I have been knocking on the door since, uh, I don't know, 30 years ago, uh, I got through the Freedom of Information Act uh, a file on uh, researcher uh, Richard Hall, 
Richard Hall used to be the main man at the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, also known as NICAP, operating out of Washington, D.C. And um, I asked Richard, I said, how about me drafting up uh, a Freedom of Information request to see what records the agency, the CIA, might have on you? And he said, sure. So we we did get a few little tidbits of information, one of which was a memorandum uh, from one section of the CIA to another. And in it, they referred to me. And uh, here I can almost quote it from memory. It says, uh, so-and-so in their telephone conversation suggested that we have not heard the last from Mr. Bryant. Now, I find that rather ironic today since it was 30-some years ago, and uh, and true. And they haven't heard the last from me, and, and uh, it's it's their own damn fault. <laughs> it is, I suppose, their own damn fault, uh, Larry. I guess that's sort of the... Uh... Uh, the um, the modern equivalent would be Googling oneself. You actually find yourself uh, turning up in documents that you obtain under the uh, Freedom of Information uh, Act. Now, who are you? Uh, who are you pestering these days, Larry? Who who, who do you have in your uh, in your sights? Is it NASA? Uh, well, I would like the National Aeronautics and Space Administration to uh, give me a, a proper response to uh, my latest Freedom of Information to that agency. And uh, they're stonewalling that request. They say that, uh, for one thing, I don't qualify as a member of the news media, a representative of the press. And uh, I say that I do. So um, the federal law on that is rather fuzzy in some degrees, but uh, sometimes uh, even freelance writers with a contract in hand from a news organization certainly qualify um, as a representative in news media, and uh, I've been doing freelance writing off and on for many years, but right now my major claim to media fame is my little column that I write for UFO Magazine. UFO Magazine is distributed internationally. It's available on the major newsstands in America, and by God, I'm I'm a representative of that magazine as a columnist. So I don't know why the agency is, is digging in its heels on this. Uh, to uh, I can only speculate that they're tired of me making requests. What specifically do you want to find out uh, through FOIA from NASA? Uh, the latest request... Uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> uh, the latest request your readers can find posted on my weblog, and it basically is, is asking that the agency... Uh, give me information about uh, a good question. It's been a while. It's been a while since I looked at the subject matter on that. Well, tell me just what what sorts of things. Not necessarily the most recent, but what sorts of things are you personally interested in finding out from NASA? Well, uh, some months back, I did send a request to them about a book I'd read from a fellow in uh, Florida who who many years ago in the seventies. I was a contract uh, employee for uh, the operation at Cape Canaveral. And uh, he claimed that uh, he 
uh, over a period of several nights in the summertime at one point, and then later on in the year, he uh, had contact uh, peripherally with something that was trying to land or did land uh, or hovered in, in a close uh, uh, contact with the ground uh, with some kind of craft that he couldn't identify. Eventually, uh, in one of his excursions out in the boondocks near Cape Canaveral, he did see uh, an object land and, and uh, a black uh, uh, sedan drive up to it, and there was apparently some exchange of personnel. He wrote a book about this and had it self-published um, a year or two ago. And uh, I decided, well, he, you know, why would the man uh, make up such a story as this? Uh, just in order to um, entertain his neighbors or his family members. He's apparently uh, convinced that this happened. And so I, I said, well, to get to the bottom of it, maybe somebody should ask the agency about it. And so I did. And um, they <laughs> they took their usual amount of time to respond, and they basically said, we we don't have any records. It's kind of hard, you know, to prove the existence of uh, something that an agency says it doesn't have. Um, it's it's almost necessary to have the thing in your hand when you write the request. And uh, so in any case, uh, the uh, agency headquarters looked into it, at its library holdings and, and other pro forma materials to see if anything might be there about this reported incident at uh, uh, Cape Canaveral. So you've uh, you've been doing this you've been doing this for for several years, Larry. And I, I guess my question to you is, uh, wh- what keeps you uh, compelled to keep on addressing this issue with the number of agencies that uh, that you deal with? I guess. Well, uh, once in a while, what an happens a- there? An agency will will actually produce something worth writing about. For example, the CIA, mm-hmm. in one of the last requests I made, ended up in a, um, a federal lawsuit, Bryant versus uh, CIA. And uh, in the course of that lawsuit, they did cough up a couple of interesting uh, uh, teletype messages from the State Department that mm-hmm. uh, chose to send uh, copies to the CIA. And I wrote about this in one of my columns. And therefore, uh, as I say, once in a while, a stab in the dark can produce something useful, other than just uh, irritating an agency mm-hmm. uh, to just for the sake of irritating them. They irritate the public, so it's a, it's a seesaw show going on here where where we, the public, make demands on the agency, and the agency has to respond. And, and sometimes they take their sweet time doing so. Most of the time they do. Larry, if you were to look at the, the uh, collection of documents you've obtained under FOIA from various federal agencies, for you, do you would you say, okay, I look at this body of evidence, these are the documents that I've obtained, would you say that they constitute solid, documented proof that the government of the United States is aware of, concerned about, engaged with UFOs? 
I had a saying that might be responsive to that query, and it goes like this. What would the government know about UFO reality if they read their own UFO-related documents, uh, documents that go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, documents that at one point uh, were denied to exist. Uh, the CIA, you know, did not voluntarily cough up uh, four reams of, of uh, UFO-related material. They, they didn't do it voluntarily because they felt like it was none of our damn business to do it. But so what happened? We had to file a lawsuit. We had to file a Freedom of Information lawsuit by an organization called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. Actually, before that, by something called Ground Saucer Watch that dates back uh, a little bit, a uh, year or two before uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy was formed. And uh, as I say, uh, without that lawsuit, we wouldn't have as much information as we do have now that points to the fact that certain government agencies, CIA especially, have been taking this subject dead serious from the earliest days of uh, of the Roswell incident, or perhaps even before. Okay, Larry, uh, stay stay put. We'll come back. Uh, Richard Serrett here on the Conspiracy mm-hmm. Show. Back with more in a moment. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, Season 2 of The Conspiracy Show, the television program, airs on Vision and debuts Wednesday, September the 28th at 11 p.m. Eastern. Check local listings. If you're on Rogers, you might find it on one channel. If you're on Shaw, you'll find it somewhere else. If you're on Bell, you'll find it someplace else. But it's... It's across the country, I think, in about 9 million households. So, again, The Conspiracy Show Season 2, Wednesday, September the 28th at 11 p.m. And it's uh, basically two episodes back-to-back. First, you'll see a brand-new episode from Season 2, followed by an old chestnut from Season 1. And it runs every weeknight, Wednesday the 28th, Thursday, Friday, and then again the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and on it goes, coming at you at 11 p.m. Eastern. And I hope you'll watch each and every episode, of course. And we had just a blast uh, putting season two together. We're not quite done yet, just about wrapping things up. All right, uh, we are speaking with another old chestnut indeed. Larry Bryant uh, is with us, and um, he's a a spur under, or a a burr, I should say, under a saddle, uh, to use an old Texas reference. Uh, for a lot of government agencies because he's pestering them on a weekly basis practically, demanding they release certain documents under the uh, the, the, F- the Freedom of Information Act. And, um, Victor, you wanted to ask uh, Larry about his, I guess, his home run. Yeah. Um, 
you each each week uh, larry you know you you are so good to send out the emails that you that you do to all of the people that are on your list sort of indicating to them where your frame of reference is and what you're pursuing on any given day or week um could you just describe for us what you feel in your own estimation would be the the most significant uh, find or the most significant inroad that you've made with the government with your freedom of information requests? I would have to refer you to my book. Uh, when I when I was uh, um, back in actually the early uh, the mid seventies, I guess, or, or thereabouts, when Jimmy Carter uh, was running for president. He was governor at the time of Georgia. Um, he he uh, apparently had uh, some kind of a sighting of a UFO while attending a, a meeting down there in Georgia, and he and he uh, went public with a story. The National Enquirer down in Florida did a, a decent uh, write-up about it, and uh, people started writing to the White House after he got elected or shortly even before he got elected, uh, or before he took office, and said to Jimmy Carter, in effect, uh, please, Jimmy, uh, when you become president, please free up all suppressed official UFO information. And letters by the thousands, apparently several thousand, uh, showed up in the, in the White House mailroom, and... Uh, Somehow I, I, I hit upon the idea that maybe some of these letters should be collected and examined and maybe even published. So I sent a freedom of information request to the Air Force headquarters, which operated a, uh, uh, under the Secretary of the Air Force, a mm-hmm. presidential inquiries section. And uh, they actually uh, processed the request. They... Uh, ended up giving me microfilm printouts of uh, some several hundred letters, not several thousand. Most of the letters got destroyed, unfortunately, as as Grant Cameron is well aware of. Uh, The White House decided that uh, 8,000 or so letters like this probably didn't uh, amount to much. (laughs) In any case, the several hundred that I got a hold of did amount to me, uh, as a barometer of citizen interest in what what the government knows and when it knew it about UFO reality. So I proceeded to edit this uh, mound of material in several sections. The last section, by the way, of my book pertains to letters from uh, young people, students, uh, teenagers, doing uh, term papers on UFOs, etc., and that's probably the most entertaining section of the book. However, there's one letter that sticks out in my mind to this day, and I've posted its contents on my website. It's from a a young naval uh, uh, officer. I think it was a lieutenant or uh, thereabouts. And in any case, he wrote to Jimmy Carter very seriously saying, how important this subject is to himself and how important it should be to the to the incoming president. 
it was uh, it was an eye opener for me, and as I say, I'll never forget uh, getting my hands on that because it told me how many other prospective uh, military officers would have a like-minded attitude towards the subject if they were given free reign to talk about it. Of course, yeah. Uh, so uh, I hope that answers your question. Meantime, well, I have an answer back to Richard as to what my latest uh, uh, Freedom of Information request to NASA pertains to. And it's, uh, I'm quoting from it here, it, uh, it basically says that... Uh, uh, this was back in May of this year, and it has asked for graphic representations of Martian surface structures described by a remote viewer named Joe McMonagle. Based on his perception of geographical coordinates listed by uh, one or more NASA personnel that had attended a remote viewing session in which uh, McMonagle uh, accepted those coordinates and was able to apparently focus in on certain artificial structures on Mars. And uh, so I said, okay, well, this is, if there was a representative on, on duty at that point from NASA, I want to know about it. I want to know what records about the experiment that had taken place uh, reside in uh, NASA files. Well, uh, NASA refuses to do a record search, saying that it's too generalized a request. And also, I don't. I, I, my request for a fee waiver as a representative of the news media, a fee waiver only, by the way, for record search and review, that would not be granted. So that's where we stand at this point. I've, I've issued a, an appeal of that decision, and. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm prepared to go to court to, to defend my right under the Freedom of Information Act. Larry, the, the documents that are released to you under FOIA, are they really though that sensitive? In other words, um, Richard Dolan, a UFO historian, uh, told me once that f- there's an estimate that about 50%, 50% of all government documents are classified. I mean, so much for, you know, transparency and openness in government. 50% of all documents now produced by the government are classified. So are you really getting the gold? Are they ever going to release the the damning information, the smoking gun? Uh, or are you simply getting chaff, distractions? Uh, well, you know, the, the CIA years ago admitted that's withholding a minimum of 57 UFO-related documents, and the rationale is that we, we cannot segregate the unclassified portion from the classified, and the classified portion deals with uh, intelligence sources and methods of gathering intelligence. I, I think that's rather um, shady thinking, and, 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 and it's obfuscation as far as I'm concerned, but I, I think that they could possibly segregate uh, those sensitive portions from the from the non-sensitive but basically the agencies really they don't like this freedom of information uh, act on principle they say oh well we've got to follow the law but a lot of times they don't follow the law for example there's been a recent uh, decision by a federal judge in a case 
of freedom of information in which the judge chastised uh, the agency. I think it may have been the Interior Department, of, and uh, uh, the agency had not responded within 20 working days of receipt of a given uh, freedom of information request, and, and for an agency just not, not to respond violates the law. So as I say, uh, it's an uphill battle to get anything from this act. Uh, there's too many exemptions, for example, and too many sneaky ways by which these exemptions can be interpreted uh, by agency lawyers uh, to deny public access. This, this flies in the face of, of principle. The principle being that uh, the government's obligated to release material unless they can prove there's a legitimate reason for not releasing. And uh, so it's, it's basically an eternal battle between the citizen's right to know and the government's duty to tell. So how do you, Larry, this is really an interesting point. You've led right up to the question that I want to ask you. It's quite clear that no matter how specific or how, um, uh, you know, really, um, I, I guess I'll use the word again, specific, that your request would be. You distill the information, you bring to bear all of the the information you have at your disposal, and you make these requests, and you make them very, very pointedly. And I've read all of the emails that you send out, and, and the way you formulate each one of these requests about UFO information is very pointed. There's absolutely no doubt about the direction and the intent of your of your request but the continuing response of the government agencies that you address continuously drag their feet and and obfuscate as you used that word before and they drag their feet on any kind of uh, positive reaction to whatever you're requesting there's always a way around your request how do you interpret that intransigence uh, bureaucratic uh, business as usual. Um, bureaucrats are afraid of the truth, and youthful truth scares the hell out of most of them because if, if they're anything near uh, insider information, uh, they've been told that um, you know if, you better not reveal this, and you better be careful with with whom you share it, and so forth. Uh, this puts a, a, an abiding fear of disclosure rather than a proactive uh, uh, acting uh, in terms of, um, uh, of, of erroring, erroring on the side of openness mm -hmm. rather than erroring on the side of, uh, of uh, suppression. So it's a mindset of the public. I mean, of the, it's a mindset of the government. Uh, when in doubt, uh, keep it close to hand. That's uh, to me. That's that just, just on principle violates the whole spirit, if not the letter of the Freedom of Information Act. So, what do you attribute that to? That why do you think, in your own estimation, and I guess we're getting to the crux of the matter of the whole UFO disclosure issue. Why do you feel, and we've had many responses from many people we've had on this program. Why do you feel the government is attempting? To, other than just from just the, the sheer aspect of keeping it close to the vest, why do you feel the government is, is not disclosing any information of relevance about the UFO issue? What's your estimation on that? Uh, there's probably 
uh, one researcher, uh, Dr. Bruce Maccabee, once noted that uh, the, the, this, the deepest secret probably is known only to about a few hundred people. They, they're in high places. They have the highest security clearances. They're told in no uncertain terms that uh, the subject must be uh, suppressed from public view for it could be a number of reasons. One reason could be that uh, uh, we're under some form of uh, invasive reconnaissance by alien spacecraft. Why have they them been doing this reconnaissance for over 50 years? Uh, this is one of the questions that we have to keep asking the government. But uh, another reason they might feel that uh, uh, we should uh, withhold information because foreign governments might mis misuse that information to their advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, another reason for withholding information um, just because they can, <laughs> because that yeah. tends to be government. Just because uh, they can. standing mm -hmm. operating procedure. Mm -hmm. Don't don't be proactive in releasing anything. Wait till you have to go to court, and then and, and then a piecemeal whatever you can do to placate the requester. When when uh, a number of high profile military people. Uh, stood up at the uh, Washington uh, Press Gallery and, and talked about uh, UFOs uh, interfering with nuclear arms, shutting them down and so forth, and uh, which is, you know, by any stretch or by any way you look at it, I mean, that is a national security issue, whether we're talking about extraterrestrials or whether these are MiGs or whatever, uh, and yet there's absolutely nothing but dead silence from the military. Have you gone after them for any uh, through FOIA for any documents relating to those incidents, whether we're talking about um, the U.S. Air Force Base at Maelstrom in '67 or others? Uh, not not the, the ones far back in, uh, at that time frame, but recently uh, I have uh, queried uh, the Air Force about uh, F.E. Warren Air Force Base. A nuclear um, uh, encroachment, you might say, about UFOs in, in the last few months. In fact, I'm waiting for the Air Force to cough up uh, some sort of investigative report on that incursion. And they haven't done it. They've had months now. I'm glad you mentioned this because it's time that I uh, do a follow-up. Uh, they said they were going to send me a redacted, that means a censored, version of uh, a, a board of investigation as to what shut down, arbitrarily shut down some of the systems in the m nuclear uh, missile field near um, F.E. Warren Air Force Base up in the northwest. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a shame that we have to rely on information coming from whistleblowers rather than coming from official sources, which could be evaluated carefully and, and uh, objectively. But no, the government uh, has, has got its head in, uh, in the sand when UFOs are flying above it. And uh, in the meantime, whistleblowers are, are, are having to come forward and, and jeopardize their careers by telling the public the truth that they're entitled to know. 
that's 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 as I say that violation of principle. We we are the government in this country, the the people. That that is in theory what we hope to believe. Yeah. Let me ask you, Larry, do, do you feel that the level of resistance that you've encountered, you know, year after year that you've made these the very specific and professional and legalistic and request, do you feel that the resistance of the government or, or whoever, you know, whatever agencies you are, you are, you're challenging, do you feel the level of resistance that, that they exhibit is proof enough that something is going on? That and the fact that uh, uh, back in the 60s, uh, UFO researchers were investigated by our, our own government, by the FBI, by the uh, Naval Intelligence Office, um, by the CIA. There was, uh, there was a paranoia going on in the government that we might be getting too close to, to the answers to these perennial questions. This is not what the government should be doing to its citizens who are merely curious about who's doing what and why in the government on this subject. Uh, and, and I resist. I resist that kind of uh, heavy-handed government response to something that the government mm-hmm. owes us, not vice versa. Exactly. All yeah. right, Larry, stay put. Victor, you do the same. We'll come back. A few more questions for Larry Bryant uh, before we welcome uh, Grant Cameron to discuss presidential politics and UFOs. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Larry Bryant is with us. And uh, he's been pestering federal agencies like NASA for a very long time. Uh, persistent, doggedly uh, uh, trying to to, uh, to get government documents from them, which would shed some light on the uh, the whole UFO ET issue. What do they know? How long have they known it? What are they keeping from us? Why are they keeping it from us? Uh, Larry, if someone, a whistleblower, uh, were to uh, slide a manila envelope under your, your doorway and it contained a classified document, but that classified document was from one of these... Uh, black ops uh, uh, programs. In other words, no congressional oversight, doesn't really appear on the radar, uh, maybe even the president doesn't have a right to know, to be read in, as they say. Would you publish that document? I would not directly publish it, but I would certainly try to find out its legitimacy as regard both its content and its classification. And there there would be ways for me to uh, yeah, to pursue that uh, examination and um, part, part of which I have to uh, consult with some knowledgeable people who, who are willing to keep things uh, confidential and, until it gets sorted out because uh, 
you know, anybody can get a rubber stamp with top secret on it <laughs> and st- start slapping uh, indiscriminately right. no, any agreed. document they want to to p- try to pawn it off as a legitimate document. Well, that raises a whole other issue, uh, obviously, because we've seen a lot of interesting things that come across and we're scratching head. Why would the government release that? But let me ask you, the reason I ask that is, can do you think, can, can uh, one of these departments... Uh, that are involved in these black ops. Do you think they have the right to hide under the national, behind the national security security agency, uh, and 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 uh, the, the the classified classification, if I can use that term, uh, if they have no congressional oversight? I mean, are they even a legal entity? Well, you raise a, a valid question here because uh, if if there is no threat from UFO presence. In fact, if there are no alien spacecraft reconnoitering uh, the United States and and other uh, sites, then how can they classify some information about um, this phenomena? Uh, They've, in effect, uh, trying to have it both ways. And uh, this is not the way the government's supposed to operate. Uh, The government, by the way, is not allowed to tell lies in the performance of its duty, uh, they just it, it, that is just not part of their uh, oath of office. <laughs> in fact, it's the other way around. The oath of office says you got to tell the truth. Basically, you have to follow the constitutional uh, safeguards. You have to follow certain uh, laws of the land that uh, uh, grant certain rights and privileges to the citizenry. Uh, so the government, as I say, uh, has to prove its legitimacy in terms of whatever it classifies. Well, Look at the uh, torture uh, uh, operations of the CIA when it was doing its famous water waterboarding of uh, uh, detainees. That information got destroyed. That somebody, whoever destroyed that, arbitrarily destroyed that material, knew how inflamed it was. How incriminating it was they they uh they should be uh tried for destruction of government property at the very least well that was uh was it was it the great philosopher thomas paine no wait a minute it was robin williams who said the u.s constitution is written on a netch sketch so there you go <laughs> <laughs> go ahead rediscover it as you as you will yes. yeah larry let's take another tangent here and and we do appreciate your your um all the work you've done and it, please keep on doing it, it that, that you are just an absolute irritant to the united states government and, and don't don't ever stop what i want to do is just for our listeners uh who watch the history channel t- take us back to how you were contacted by the people who produced the history channel series and your part in the the, the series uh that, that the history channel produced and you and grant were on it and this will be aired in i guess in canada soon it's been in the united states i've seen it already and it's a great job um, we we here in Canada will eventually get it, I guess, through the fall and winter. But could you talk to us a little bit about how you were contacted by the History Channel and how that all happened and, and, and how what your experience was like in being interviewed by the History Channel about this whole UFO issue? I was at an ex-conference a few years ago in Washington, D.C., the disclosure conference that uh, Steve Bassett had been putting on for a few years running. And... Uh, one of the media uh, representatives, a young man named John Greenwald, Jr., 
uh, approached me saying that he was interviewing Stan Friedman and uh, a few other luminaries, and would I like to spend a half an hour in the interview site uh, after uh, or or before Stan was due to show up? And I said, certainly, I will talk to you about my my history of uh, being a thorn in the side of, of government censorship. So that's how it came about. Uh, uh, a um, uh, an interviewer whose name I, I can't recall right now, uh, along with a cameraman, sat me down and uh, asked me pointing questions, and I zeroed in on the CIA. And uh, by the way, I, I I think the CIA is merely a uh, a semi fall guy in all this at this point. Uh, history. Historically speaking, it, it did produce what it was asked to do, and that was disinformation to diffuse the the public's uh, intense curiosity about UFO matters, and it did a good job of it for a long time. Uh, but I think the, that the true orchestrator of UFO cover-up in America is the Department of the Navy. And I don't know if I mentioned that in the interview or not, because it's been a few years now since that took place. But uh, as I say, the Navy's role in all this is is, is pronounced from the earliest days of uh, of uh, the famous Air Force estimate of the situation, which. Uh, stayed under arrest for a long time before it finally got mm-hmm. freed up, and it was a top sacred document, if I recall. The Navy was one of the uh, distribution points of, of for that particular document, a document that, in its earliest form, declared that uh, the UFO reports received to date imply that some of the uh, reported craft were interplanetary. Mm-hmm. The Navy would be in the best position of all the military services to set up detection equipment uh, on the high seas, unencumbered by uh, uh, civilized mm-hmm. uh, neighborhoods and so forth. Right. And it would have all this detection equipment. And, it, and communicate. the Navy has extremely good communication systems. And therefore, and it also has pretty good intelligence, apparently. So I, if I had to be the president at the time to, to decide which agency that would be would the, one. Be the yep. father of the cover-up, it would be the Navy, uh, and, uh, and that's just how I view it. Let me ask you, Larry, we've just got a, a minute left or so here, um, I, and I ask this of all of our key guests, and, I, and I, can, I continue to believe that you are, in fact, one of them because of the intensity with which you go after this information with respect to how the news media might deal with it. And I know for a fact, and uh, I have sent uh, um, uh, you know, press releases out that this evening we are interviewing a key person in the cover-up, okay? We, we, we realize that. If you were to speak to the journalists that are listening right now, and there are many, I know there are in fact many journalists, be they mainstream or whatever, and if you would speak to any journalist who could break this news story, 
in, in, in a way that the mainstream would pay attention to it. What would you say to the journalists that are on the fence about realizing this issue is either myth or reality? How would you convince, what would you say to a journalist tonight to say, listen, you've got to pay attention to this and, 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 and follow up on it? How would you, how would you address that with, with any journalist? I would tell them that they have a model uh, sitting in the wings just for that very thing. And his name is Billy Cox, a reporter down in Florida who has his own uh, mm-hmm. uh, weblog. Um, he, he as I say, has been interested in this subject for mm-hmm. uh, at least 15 years, maybe longer. Billy uh, uh, asked the right questions of the right people, but he, unfortunately he doesn't have behind him an editorial staff, a publisher's commitment to perform what I would call a Watergate uh, treatment the way the Washington Post did. And that's what's necessary because the subject's very complicated. It's um, it's a it, it, you have to overcome the taboo aspect of the subject to start asking those right questions mm-hmm. of the right people. To uh, and, and in fact, uh, the, the the Washington Post has historically missed the greatest opportunity in its entire history. Um, they could have solved this problem by. Uh, so putting out uh, an, an advertising for whistleblowers, they could have offered uh, whistleblower uh, reward for coming forward. They won't do this because uh, you know, the, the, you know, the the, uh, the news media basically operate at the beck and call of the government these days. So they're captives of our own government. Or someone above the government. No no longer the fourth estate, the way uh, Mm -hmm. H.L. Mencken and some of those pioneers of uh, newspapering. uh, We have a puppet news media conglomerate owned by corporate interest uh, whose first loyalty is to governmental influence. Mm -hmm. All right. That's almost the definition of fascism. It is. But that's another... that's another show. Exactly right. <laughs> okay. uh, the merger of corporate interest with government interest with a heightened degree of national belligerence. It's it's soft totalitarianism. It's uh, yes, it's uh, fascism with a velvet glove, I suppose. Larry, always uh, um, interested in, in speaking with uh, crusaders and and uh, a dying breed uh, investigative journalist such as yourself. And and um, uh, thank you for this. Well, I'm happy to, to discuss this, and maybe you get back to me in six months or so. We'll make it. I can uh, give you maybe some progress reports. We'd be happy to do that. Thank and, you very much. Uh, your your uh, listeners, uh, I hope your listeners realize that Canada is a progressively, uh, independently thinking bunch of people, and I'm I'm proud that we live next door to you. Yeah, uh, 35 million registered Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Larry. We'll Take talk care, again. Larry. All right, and tell Grant to keep up the good work up there north right. of the border while us SOBs down here south of the border rights, we'll, we'll do what we can, okay? We shall. Grant's, good uh, luck it, to you both. Thank you. Good night. He's, good night, Larry. Grant's in the radio version of The Green Room, and he's going to slide down to this end of the couch in just a moment. Grant Cameron of PresidentialUFO.com. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Service. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. 
AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Welcome back at 1230. Richard Gage, founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, will be here to tell us about the Canadian theatrical debut of his new documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Experts speak out, of course, no secret uh, that we are fast approaching the 10th anniversary of uh, that infamous uh, day, uh, September 11th, 2001. So Richard Gage will be here and uh, rest assured, on the 10th anniversary, of course, that'll fall on my watch here on Sunday night, so we will uh, dedicate the full two hours. Uh, there'll be a, uh, a full um, full board of, uh, of uh, guests and experts to discuss the 10th anniversary. But Richard Gage will be joining us here for a peek, uh, sneak preview at 12.30. And as promised, Grant Cameron from Presidential UFO will be here just in a few moments. Uh, but first, our good friend here... Uh, the founder and director of Zealand News Service, Victor Vigiani. You'll be uh, speaking at a... Uh, it's a ghosts uh, conference uh, up in the the Niagara, paran- down par- in the Niagara Peninsula, but right. paranormal stuff, mm-hmm. and they cover the UFO stuff. Mm-hmm. You'll be there, and uh, we've got the the coordinator for that conference yes. on the line. Margaret mm-hmm. Bile is here. Welcome, Margaret, to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you for having me on. And uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the conference. Well, we we are. Uh, this is our second annual Ghost Conference. And this year, we're actually combining uh, the paranormal with the wellness. So we're having the two uh, different modalities, um, and we have a lot of people interested in UFOs and the conspiracy. So that's why we're we're really pleased to have Victor uh, as one of our speakers. As well, you should be. He, I always say, Victor does great PowerPoint. <laughs> Are you doing a PowerPoint presentation? Uh, that's that's what my plan is, yeah, and just want to wow the people and all of the the main points of uh, what this issue is all about. And Margaret's uh, been great enough to invite me there. Margaret, tell us about the uh, the venue, the dates, the times. Okay, we start on September the thirtieth at the Fire Hall Theater in uh, Niagara Falls with a meet and greet the celebrities. A um, reception there, a, pa- a panel discussion, and then we're going to be having a ghost hunt. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be at Club Heidelberg in St. Catharines um, with the paranormal uh, speakers downstairs, and uh, upstairs we're going to be having a wellness expo and paranormal expo, uh, speakers for both modalities, um, starting at 9.30 in the morning until 8, 8.30 at night, we will also be having a ghost tour in, in um, Fort George and a um, seance at the Prince of Wales Hotel on Saturday night. And Victor, when and where are you speaking during this conference? Uh, my understanding, uh, Margaret, maybe you could uh, you know enhance that too, but I'll be sort of uh, involved in the meet and greet, and then on Saturday I've got two sessions before and after lunch, right? Yes, you do. You're speaking um, at 11 o'clock mm-hmm. before lunch, and then after mm-hmm. lunch we're going to have you on again at from 1 till 1.45. Yeah, do you feel that, that, that the conference dealing with the paranormal and the people 
people that will be coming there uh, will be open to the idea of discussing extraterrestrials and all of the issue in contrast to some of the other issues that uh, might come up at the conference? This is an area that has had a lot of reporting, a lot of sightings, um, and so there's a lot of interest um, that I've been hearing about, so I think everybody's going to be very open to this. And Victor, what is going to be the theme of your presentation? Well, I, I think what I want to do, what I'd like to do, and I've sort of done this presentation many times before, and I'm sort of betwixt and between the idea of doing something kind of basic to introduce people to the idea of the extraterrestrial phenomenon, UFOs, and then move or moving into the area of the the political aspects of all of this. So, um, I, I what I would like like to do is open people up in the first session to the idea that the UFO phenomenon is something that's uh, that, that is a real phenomenon and then uh, possibly in the second portion of the presentation look at the more political aspects of what the UFO phenomenon might be uh, bringing to us as a, as a civilization. So there's two parts to it and I hope people that uh, that attend the conference will be open to both points of view. Margaret, give us the, uh, the location, the times, uh, and a website. Okay, we are going to be uh, at the Fire Hall Theater on Friday uh, in, in Niagara Falls at, uh, on Walnut Street and on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be at Club Heidelberg, 569 Lake Street in St. Catharines. The website is www.ghostsconference.com. And uh, do people need to get online to register for tickets, or do they buy them uh, at the door? They can do either. All right. Thank you very much, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Margaret Bile with uh, the Ghosts Conference uh, down yep. Niagara Way. And Victor sure. Vigiani uh, will be a big part of that. So get on down there, say hello. And uh, uh, if you want to see a, ter- a terrific, concise all-encompassing presentation, just jam-packed with information, something that's just going to make your head spin. Uh, Well, that's the place to do it. And uh, Victor Vigiani, a good part of the uh, conspiracy show here, will be there. So... Yeah, and if people want to contact me directly, they can contact me at zland, Z-L-A-N-D, at simpatico.ca, and I can provide them with whatever information they would like to. Excellent. All right. Uh, We'll take a quick time out. Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com on the other side. The Conspiracy Show. Get on board. Part of the conversation at 416-3... It's been too long. What's the number, Griff? (laughs) 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740 and 866-744-740. The truth will set you free. But first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 
From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And uh, there'll be a brand new uh, Conspiracy Show website. It's going to uh, sort of combine the TV show and the radio uh, show, although you'll still be able to find it uh, by logging in at richardserrett.com or Googling or, or what have you. Uh, but it'll all be under one banner, and you'll have the TV as one part of it, the, radio, the TV show and the radio program, all under one tidy little uh, banner. And I'm kind of excited about the new look. Uh, I've been working with a web developer, and uh, we're going to get it up uh, as quickly as we possibly can. Rest assured, it'll be up and running before the debut of Season 2 of The Conspiracy Show, September the 28th, which is a Wednesday. All right. Uh, we just finished off with a, a really interesting conversation with uh, Larry Bryant, who has uh, um, really made extensive use <clears throat> of the Freedom of Information Act in... Um, wrestling uh, classified or, or uh, sensitive documents, let's say, from various federal agencies to shed some light on the UFO phenomenon. We're about to meet another uh, individual who has done the same. Of course, he has uh, become very well known in uh, UFO circles uh, for his research and interest in the involvement and actions of the President of the United States in the UFO problem. He's made 20-plus trips to the National Archives and most of the various presidential archives looking for presidential UFO material. One <clears throat> highlight his presidential UFO, uh, of his presidential UFO research was the chance to question Vice President Dick Cheney on his knowledge of the UFO subject. Another highlight of the presidential UFO research was a FOIA to the White House Office of Science and Technology, which yielded 1,000 pages of UFO documents from the Clinton administration. Many of these findings have been written up on the Presidents of UFO website, www.presidentialufo.com. And uh, always a pleasure to welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, Grant Cameron. Hello, Grant. Good evening. How are you? Good. Just fine. How about yourself? Very well. Say hello to uh, Victor Vigiani. Victor, how you doing? Not too bad, Grant. We we link up again. Great stuff. Excellent. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Are you able? Is there a sort of a trajectory when when you're uh, sifting through these documents, you start to notice sort of changes, almost like an archaeologist excavating your you know the different strata, where you're able to detect that the occupants of the White House seem to be less and less in the loop, and, and uh, was there, is there sort of a, a demarcation point? Was it Eisenhower? Was it Clinton? Um, well, the, like the, the big top-secret documents you, you never see at the, at the presidential libraries, whether it's Truman or Eisenhower, uh, because um, I'm not too sure the president is really in touch with that kind of stuff. There is the, the, the concept that Truman and Eisenhower knew more. When it comes to presidential documents, what you find is if you get a president who's interested in the subject, you tend to have a large number of documents. For example, the Reagan administration had a fair number. Uh, the Carter uh, had uh, a lot. And uh, the Clinton Library, I'm about to go in the morning, uh, has the most. It's uh, Bill... Um, openly stated he was fascinated with the subject and uh, had actually uh, confirmed that he had gone to try to figure out what Roswell was all about. He uh, admitted in Hong Kong in 2005 that a number of people in his administration believed there was uh, uh, alien artifacts and uh, maybe an alien at Area 51, and he sent someone there. Uh, so the, the Clinton is by far and away uh, way more documents than any other um, library and and then you get sort of lucky like 
as you mentioned in your intro, um, I was lucky enough in the when Clinton was in office to file with the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which was his science advisor, and I managed to get these 1,000 pages of documents. And that was the only um, there's only two um, departments in the when when the president's in, in office that that will answer an FOIA. But once the president leaves office, and Clinton left office in 2001, the president gets five years to work on his documents, and to write his memoirs and do whatever. And at the end of five years, the documents become open through FOIA. And the way they open the documents is they'll open all the, like the, um, uh, uh, say, economic documents. They'll file all that kind of stuff. But... Everything else goes according to first come first serve for FOIA. So, I was lucky in that because I had the thousand pages of documents from his administration. We basically knew from those documents through Lawrence Rockefeller going and trying to get the president to disclose. We basically knew all the people in the administration who were interested in the phenomena. We knew a lot of what had happened. So, what happened was in uh, January of 2006 when these documents became open. I had already uh, 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 piled up on my FOIAs, and I filed about 100 Free Information Act requests the day that these documents opened up. So they filed a lot of the documents that started to come out. Uh, I think of the first 18 FOIAs that were cleared by the Clinton administration, 11 had to do with UFOs. So a lot of the major media in the United States picked this up as to why are all these doc UFO documents coming out of the Clinton administration. It was basically because... I was there first, and I, I filed my stuff, and um, we've gotten a couple thousand pages, and a lot of it is, is maybe not all that applicable. It's, it's based on uh, getting all the, for example, all the documents from a speech that he may write, which may be hundreds mm -hmm. of pages, a speech where either he or Hillary talked about UFOs, but uh, like tomorrow morning, I start my search here, and, and but once a year, I come here, and I have about uh, 10 that have opened up. And we have the big one. I had sort of forgotten why I was coming here, and I knew there was a bunch of stuff opening up. And actually, earlier this evening, I, I, and I can actually give you the list of the stuff that is, that's about, that is open and that I'll probably be the first person to see. And uh, these documents I'll be putting on the uh, presidential UFO website. So people who want to see these documents, what I'm, what I'm do, I don't read the documents. I just go in there with a camera, and I basically just... Uh, Photo, uh, make photos of all the, all the documents, and then we're just going to put them up on on the website. So the the big one is opening tomorrow, the UFO one. Uh, we've we filed for a number, and some of the speeches opened up, and some of the the more minor stuff opened up, like the correspondence between Hillary and Rockefeller and stuff like this, and pictures of Hillary at the um, at Rockefeller's ranch in 1985. But tomorrow morning they have they used to be 1,500 pages. It's now down to 899 pages. And this is just UFOs. This is an FOI on all material, UFO, extraterrestrial, uh, and that uh, they're withholding 122 pages. And of that, there's 69 pages are national security. So I don't know what that's all about. Well, uh, There's 575 pages I filed a Freedom Information Act on. And a lot of this you're just sort of throwing darts it's, uh, on Carl Sagan. And there's 575 pages on Carl Sagan. Uh, I filed one on the president of uh, Brazil, uh, Fernando Cordoza. In 1996, he was the president of Brazil. And the reason I filed that Freedom Information Act request is there was a, there's always a rumor, rumored story that the, the Virginia crash in Brazil in, in, um, 
during the Clinton administration there was a crash of a UFO and there was a bunch of live aliens running around and that they were captured by the Brazilian military. And the story was that uh, 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 Warren Christopher, um, the Secretary of State, went down to Brazil and they negotiated to get the, the, the craft and the bodies from the Brazilians and in exchange for the bodies and the craft, they one of the, the things that they gave the Brazilians was uh, somebody on the space shuttle, and that did happen. There was a Brazilian went up on the space shuttle. So basically, there's um, uh, almost 900 pages on uh, Cordoza, and it's basically to see if there there happens to be something there. Now that they've withheld 326 pages. Well, Grant, just let me interrupt you there. Yeah. This. <laughs> I, I need to back up a little bit. First yeah. of all, as a Canadian, you know, you, you live yeah. in, 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 the, in the West. And, and the, my first question is, like, you as a Canadian, how, how, and I think we need to answer this question, how do you as a Canadian get the file, you, uh, the FOIA request as a Canadian within the States? It, just briefly answer that question. How do you well, do that? There, there's no restrictions. Anybody from around the world can file a Free Information Act request uh, with any American agency. And it doesn't no, no matter. No restrictions whatsoever. Okay. So on that basis, I, what I like in your work, too, is like a brain surgeon. I mean, you've just described over the last, you know, three and a half minutes, you've gone through, you know, the, the, the Rockefeller files and all the other things. You, you're going at this as a brain surgeon would operate on a skull, and you've got in something, you, you're being very, very specific in the kinds of things you're going at. And, and and how can anybody dispute or at least look at in, 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 in sconce as to how you are going after this information? This is pretty solid information about the way the American government has, has sequestered the information. How do you reconcile your, your search for this information and, and bringing it forward to the news media to say, listen, this is credible information. How can you, how can you just ignore it? Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I can give you an example. We had, um, uh, when I got the the uh, files, 1,000 pages from the science advisor, two of the documents dealt with uh, Hillary Clinton. And uh, the one document uh, was a document that what happened was Rockefeller had a letter that he wanted to send to the president. And what they did is they cut him off at the pass, and the, he had to deal with the science advisor. Mm-hmm. So he had this letter that he always threatened, I'm going to send this letter to the president on, on UFO disclosure. And he had a bunch of people help him edit the letter. And we have one clearly uh, spelled out document where Hillary was one of the people who helped Rockefeller edit a letter on UFO disclosure to the president. And there was another letter, there was another document in there that where Hillary, um, Rockefeller was talking to the science advisor, and both the science advisor and Rockefeller had agreed that all the material going back and forth would go through the first lady's office. That's Dr. Jack Gibbons, right? Jock Gibbons. Yeah. So Hillary, there was two very clear-cut um, documents that showed that Hillary was very involved in the Rockefeller Initiative and this 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 disclosure initiative to the president. So when when I got these eleven of the first FOIAs that had been filed, of course the the American media was Fox and uh, Washington Post and Associated Press, and I got these phone calls from all over the place, and everybody wanted to know well, why why are these UFO documents? So I explained the situation. And then I mentioned to all these, these major outlets, and the Washington Post talked to me for an hour, about an hour and a quarter, the fact that Hillary had been involved. And at that time, Hillary was running for president. And so I sent all these news media, the, these major news medias, these two documents, and said, this woman's running for president, and she was involved in an initiative to get UFO disclosure with the president, and not one of them touched the story. Man, so I, I really can't reconcile it. I have of course, no idea. Yeah, that's, that's just... Uh 
absolutely incredible that you that you could do that. A lot, of, a lot of it, I think, with with the media, and there's a story that's told during the Clinton administration uh, by Deborah Oren, who was uh, the White House uh, reporter for the Washington Post. She tells a story when when Clinton was in uh, his associ- his assistant attorney general was Webster Hubble, mm-hmm. and when Webster Hubble left the White House. He wrote a book called Friends in High Places, and in the book he describes the fact that Bill Clinton gave him two jobs. He said, if I put you over there in justice, I want you to find out two things. Number one, are there UFOs? And two, who killed JFK? So he went out and he did his investigation, and he put it in his book, and he said he couldn't find anything. And so the day the book was released, this was brought up at the White House press conference, and the, the, the president's press secretary took a question from Deborah Orrin. And Deborah said, um, is this true? Did the president tell Webster Hubble to go out and look for UFOs? And he said, well, no, we gave that job to the alien. He made a joke out of this. Thing. He said, no, we gave that to the alien. That's his job. And then she said she came back with a follow-up question, and she said, is it true what Mr. Hubble has written in his book about this situation? And the, and the press secretary said, I'm not going to comment on things that people write in their personal books. And Deborah Orrin, in a later interview, said, I sat there and waited for somebody in the press corps to follow up on my thing, and they all rolled over and played dead. And that's what it is. If you're a White House uh, press correspondent, you ask a stupid question, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the last question they're ever going to answer from you. That's so right, everybody's yeah. afraid to ask the UFO question and look stupid. Uh, Grant, which uh, president was told that if he sort of stuck his nose where he shouldn't regarding UFOs, he'd end up like Jack Kennedy? Was it Carter or was it Clinton? Well, there's there's the rumored story that 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 Carter was told that um, Bill Clinton. There's a story that Stephen Greer tells that he was putting stuff into the White House, and and the, the Clinton had, uh, documents tend to indicate that he was putting stuff into the the Clinton White House. And a close friend of Bill Clinton's came to him. This is according to Stephen Greer, and said to him, uh, "We'd like to do what you what what you want, but we can't do it because." We're, the, the president will add, is afraid he'll end up like, or we're afraid the president will end up like JFK. And Greer laughed, and the guy said, no, we're serious, we're dead serious. Mm-hmm. So the, the story was told by uh, a close friend of Bill Clinton. We haven't figured out who it is, but this is a story that Stephen Greer tells. Would, would you, um, I can't remember if we asked you this uh, when those JFK UFO documents uh, came out, although they've been circulating for some time. Did we talk to you about that, uh, what, your, what your take on those were? Yeah, I, and and I, I, I my my position. I'm I'm rewriting. Uh, we published a book in 1990 called UFOs, MJ12, and the Government, and I'm rewriting sections of the book. It's going to be republished by uh, Richard Dolan, and in this book, I'm going to talk about these documents. I think they're all all the documents, and there's 4,000 pages of these MJ12 documents. I believe they're all they're all phony, but I think there is there part of it is an initiative to get out. Um, the information of what's going on and covering it with um, documents that have been altered. Because the, the whole thing is you can't release a classified document because it's against the law. So what they do is they change, my belief is they change the document. So the information is getting out. So a lot of this stuff may be true, but the document itself, uh, they, I believe they're all, they're, they're, none of them are legitimate. But when you consider there's 4,000 documents, over 4,000 pages that have been released to various researchers, this is not one person hoaxing documents. This is an organization doing something for a reason. An organization. I mean, do you get the sense that there is this war uh, behind the scenes going on, um, and it may involve people close to the president, 
that uh, you've got on one side, you've got the pro-disclosure people. They're, they're pushing, it's time, it's time, we have, to, we have to release it. And those, maybe the old school, who are saying, no, it's not time, it, we're not ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's even an, an example. I was just lecturing in Kansas City, and I brought up the example of Ronald Pendolfi, who is, um, he was, he's, he's, was re- reported by the New York Times to be the top scientist inside the CIA, he uh, spent a period of time, 2009-2010, in the Department of National Intelligence, which is the top intelligence agency that briefs the president and uh, top officials. And um, he has been actively part of uh, sort of a movement to leak material into the UFO community. And there was even a... a um, uh, Gordon Novell had an initiative going on that he was part of openly part of this initiative and one of the things that they had and I showed it in my my lecture is they had a script called POTUS briefing and this was a script that was uh, part uh, helped part of it was written by Richard Dolan and by um, Jim Jim Mars and they had this briefing uh, it was called it was a screenplay that they were trying to move into Hollywood and they had given it they were approached Steven um, um, Spielberg and James Cameron, and I know uh, Paul Davids told me he was approached with this script, and they were trying to get this script, and it was a, basically a script that would describe how the UFO cover-up had taken place, and trying to get a documentary made, or a major film made in Hollywood. Now, the thing was that uh, it was being pushed by Gordon Novell, but on the front cover, and I've got a, a picture of the front cover, uh, Ronald Pendolfi's name is on there. Now, Ronald Pendolfi is a high... A high level government official uh, in the intelligence community. There's no doubt who this guy is, and his name was on the front cover. So he uh, was openly um, part of this thing, which was an initiative to try to get this thing out in Hollywood. Let me take you to John Podesta for a second, and I know that uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar with with John Podesta and the overall context in which he operates, but uh, w- uh, you know as well as I do that he came forward, I think it was in 202 or 201 at the National Press Club, yeah, 202, and he made a very provocative statement uh, challenging the government to come forward. How do you view um, him in that context when he came forward as the former White House Chief of Staff and then being appointed as the Barack Obama sort of transition uh, co-chairperson of his committee to uh, to uh, the transition of Barack Obama. How do you position his statement with that and maybe even any backing away or, or, or whatever that he has on that position? How do you see that? Well, that, that's, that's the way it is. When he made the statement, it was 2002, Bush was in power, and now uh, they're in power. So mm-hmm. it always comes down to um, where, where you sit in terms of power. Uh, it's easy to, to sort of make that kind of statement when you're out of power. And I know that um, um, there was a researcher, there's a guy, I can't, his name escapes me, in Washington who does photographs who approached Podesta. He knows Podesta, mm-hmm. and he approached, and Podesta's um, second-in-command or spokesman or whatever had said, We're, nobody's ever going to acknowledge this. Nobody's ever going to... Uh, go down this road because if you if Podesta makes a statement pro UFO statement then suddenly everything is is in his department it's he's becomes responsible for it and you can't talk on behalf of the president so if, so for example if you're somebody high up in justice and you suddenly make a statement that UFOs are you think it should be disclosed then suddenly justice takes responsibility you embarrass the president so Podesta is really 
uh, sort of his hands are tied in doing anything right now because he, he can't make statements on behalf of the administration. And uh, there's a prime example. One of the biggest FOIAs I had that I filed of these hundred was John Podesta's 50th birthday party. And this one, I've gone through all the appeals, and I've fought it, and they are not going to release anything. And what happens is you, you, you make your, your FOIA, it gets denied, which is was denied, and I'll explain what it is in a minute. Mm-hmm. Then it goes back, and it goes, and they're supposed to have a month, and it goes back to Bill Clinton, and it goes to Lindsay, who is his is, uh, lawyer, and they make a ruling whether they're going to withhold it or whether they're going to, to let it out. And they denied it, and I... And I I appealed it, I lost the appeal, and unless you're going to go to court and fight them. And what course, yeah. it was, was John Podesta's 50th birthday party, which was hosted by Bill and Hillary Clinton during the, the Clinton administration. And what it was, was an X-Files birthday party, because John Podesta was known as the X-Files guy in the White House, who's interested mm-hmm. in UFOs, ex- interested in the X-Files. And they had an X-Files birthday party, and Bill and Hillary dressed up like the X-Files. And they had a skit, and so mm-hmm. I asked for all the photographs. There's 83 photographs, and there's one videotape, and they will not release a single thing. And they're 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 sticking to their guns. They're not going to release anything. And this is I, I my appeal said it's a it's a public event. These are public officials. There's no privacy here. It was American taxpayers paid for this, but they're not going to release it. So here's a Podesta who's supposed to be pro pro disclosure, and the biggest FOIA that I, I wanted has been denied by by the Clinton administration. Okay, um, just uh, and I asked this question of Larry, uh, Larry Bryant, who was on just previous to you. Do, do you do you get a sense that the the level of resistance that you meet each time you file a request a FOIA request, or even just what you were just talking about a minute ago, the level of resistance? Uh, in my interpretation, and see if you resonate with this too, the level of resistance that's there, their their reluctance to even deal with the issue, is proof enough that something is going on. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I, I think a lot of it is still the the embarrassment factor, because when it comes to the president, I, I really don't think uh, Kit Green, who was one of the the people who who used to run these CIA files at at the Mm-hmm. Um, White House talked about meeting with three presidents, and he said, "I've met with three presidents, mm-hmm. and they always bring up the subject of UFOs, mm-hmm. but I we didn't talk about it because apparently mm-hmm. they're not clear to know, mm-hmm. and that's evidence for me enough that the president, Bill Clinton, said for quite clearly on a number of occasions, I, I tried to get the stuff, I couldn't get it. He made this famous speech, which is one of the the things that's been released now. I'm getting all the speech uh, material from Belfast, Northern Ireland." He wanted Roswell released. He tried to force the Roswell thing out. They came back and said, it's a mogul balloon. So he goes and he makes a speech right. in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he said, if they did recover bodies, they didn't tell me about it, and I want to know. And it's basically a challenge to the Air Force. I want to know about the bodies. I don't believe your report. So they go out and do another report and talk about dummies dropping out of planes. So sure. he, Bill has openly stated that he tried to get it, and he couldn't get anything. So, so it appears that the president is not in the loop. Right. Uh, very briefly, talk to us about your History Channel experience in the interview, which was uh, basically, I thought, your show. Uh, uh, how, did you, how did you like the experience? How were you contacted? And what, how do you feel about the way they handled your, your, your testimony? They, they, did a, they did an excellent, uh, an excellent job. I think they could update it. There's, there's an awful lot of material. That was done a number of years ago. I've heard they run it hundreds of times in the States. But... Um, there's a lot of material that they could add, but uh, they were excellent. The, 
the the producers and they there was no hidden you know a lot of these documentaries Great. sort of hidden stuff that you you do it and it turns out to be they they mm-hmm. twist it and turn it the other way yeah. it was done very well I just think it has to be updated there's a good, lot of material good, that good. that's new since that was done Grant always a pleasure uh, and uh, in the meantime we'll uh, look forward to the latest uh, uh, documents to be released from the Clinton yeah. Library on presidential u or yeah presidential ufo dot com. Yeah, we expect about 5,000 pages of Clinton documents to be up within the next uh, two or three months. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for your interest. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Victor, uh, before we get to Richard Gage in here, um, you want to talk about um, um, another uh, – you have another conference coming up? or? Yeah. Well, well actually, um, we've got something happening at the Port Credit Library coming up on September the 22nd uh, in, uh, in Port Credit. I'll be doing a presentation there. And uh, we'll give some more updates on that. I'll be sending out emails to people. And what I would like to sort of indicate to you that do you recall the guest we had on several weeks ago, Robert Geis, Father Robert Geis? Yes, indeed. He and I met in New York um, and the Rockefeller Square. We had lunch together. Mm. And uh, we've talked, we talked at length uh, for about two hours. And at that time, he released to me some information about Donald Rumsfeld, Mm -hmm. whom he has had a close relationship uh, over the past um, 30 years, 25 at least. And Donald Rumsfeld uh, told him something about the UFO issue that uh, we will be releasing very, very soon through Zeland Communications News Network. In a, in a letter that Father Robert Geist will be publishing as a public formal acknowledgement that Donald Rumsfeld knew about and has admitted to the fact that the Majestic 12 Committee was in fact a real group of people. That is quite a coup for Zeland. Congratulations and uh, can't wait to see that. I'm waiting with bated breath for the publication of the letter on his letterhead. All right, Victor, thank you for that tidbit. Okay. You are walking in very interesting circles. Mm, and it's <laughs> rather disquieting, but we'll see where it goes. All right, Victor Vigiani, founder of Zeland News Service. Richard Gage, founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. On the other side, stay with us, The Conspiracy Show. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides, you're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, we are waiting the uh, arrival of Richard Gage, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth Founder. He's got a brand new documentary, and um, he's not where he's supposed to be at the moment. However, we have a half an hour. So, Griffin, will uh, keep trying on the other uh, side of the glass to reach out to Richard Gage. In the meantime, let me point out that the uh, Canadian theatrical debut of Richard Gage's new documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence, Experts Speak Out. Uh, the movie screening is on September the 7th, which is a Wednesday, I believe. 
September the 7th at the Toronto Underground Cinema at 9.30 p.m. And tickets are already on sale and they can be obtained from Conspiracy Culture. Our good friends Patrick and Kadena, 1696 Queen Street West, who are celebrating their fifth anniversary. The store, that is. Not the marriage. Um, but... Uh, that's going strong as well, I'm told. <laughs> However, uh, congratulations to Patrick and Kandina on uh, the fifth anniversary of Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West. And again, uh, tickets on sale uh, now for Wednesday, September 7th, the screening of Richard Gage's documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Experts speak out. Richard Gage will be there for a Q&A. And... Um, I may uh, be there as well. Uh, Richard has asked me to uh, drop by and say a few words, which I'd be delighted to do. In any event, um, you can also call the store, I'm guessing, if you want to get tickets, 416-916-1696. 416-916-1696. So listen, here's what we'll do in the meantime. Uh, we'll throw the lines wide open until the top of the hour and uh, do some open lines. Anything you'd like to discuss? If you want to talk deep politics, if you want to talk about uh, political subterfuge, the secret machinations of world leaders, secret societies, uh, if you want to talk about the weather, because there's apparently there's a little bit of that going on <laughs> uh, all over, uh, we can talk about that. And uh, I would love to hear from you if you're on the eastern seaboard and uh, are able to uh, safely uh, speak on the phone. Just stay away from the windows would be my advice. Um we can talk about that if you want to talk about UFOs. Victor Vigiani is uh, still hanging about, lingering about, loitering. No, not loitering. Lurking in the <laughs> Lurking background. Lurking in the background. Uh, and um, so we'll, we'll just make the phone lines available to you at uh, 416-360-0740. That's good for the, uh, the Toronto area, 416-360-0740. And if you're anywhere from... Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay down to the Carolinas, you can uh, use this number, 866-740-4740. And uh, we're going to begin with Hugh in uh, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Conspiracy sh uh, Show, Hugh. Good morning. Yes. Hello. Good evening, sir. Just a fabulous program. We enjoyed uh, both your guests that you had on for both hours. And uh, I just wanted to reiterate a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar uh, with a Mr. Uh, Woodley Strieber. Yes. Yeah, he has been doing Coast to Coast live uh, for many years. And uh, when he, um, he went over to the uh, Internet and uh, does a program there uh, on a regular basis, uh, I understand he was contacted by people who do UFO research and told that the uh, United States government would like to talk to him next year in 2012 about axiom disclosure. Axiom disclosure is the real thing. It's uh, uh, as opposed to the popular version. The only problem, though, is <laughs> for reasons unknown and very surprising, he, uh, he took a very uh, uh, repugnant attitude. He, uh, he was very angry, very ir irritated. And uh, he says he really doesn't want anything to do with government disclosure because he, he does not feel that uh, they, uh, they have any information, uh, nor if they did, uh, would they uh, disclose it. 
But the point is, unless he changes his mind, and we're all hoping he does, uh, uh, we're going to have to return to the popular version of disclosure because he is the only choice the only pre-designated person to whom this disclosure will be made. Uh, that's our understanding. Well, let me get uh, Victor Vigiani in here. What do, what, what do we mean by axiom uh, disclosure versus the other right. type, whatever that might well, be? Well, the, the thing that we've always, in, in exopolitics and even with uh, in terms of, of what disclosure really means, we let me make this very, very clear. We do not need the government of the United States of America to tell us that the UFO phenomenon is real. We do not need that. Let let me make that clear right to begin with. But what we do need is for governments throughout the world to acknowledge, not admit, to acknowledge that the extraterrestrial presence is real. That's all we need to, to do to at least broach the issue and to begin an open discourse, an open dialogue, an open talking about the fact that UFOs are A, real, and that B, we are being visited by off-world civilizations. All we need to do is have governments acknowledge, not disclose. We don't care what they know. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm speaking really firmly here. It doesn't matter what the United States government knows or doesn't know. We just need them to acknowledge the presence and let the people take it over from there. So in my estimation, Whitley Strieber is, and God bless the man, he's done a lot of work, but it's irrelevant what he believes or does not believe. We need the governments of the world to acknowledge the fact to the people of the world that the UFO presence is real and that extraterrestrial civilizations are in fact visiting us. So when that acknowledgement comes through, then everything else will follow. So that's my response to your question. All right. Hugh in Pennsylvania, thank you for the call. And uh, we are now joined on the line uh, from the Bay Area by the founder of uh, Architects and Engineer. He's a San Francisco Bay Area architect, member of the American Institute of Architects. He's the founding member, as I say, of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He's been a practicing architect for over 20 years and has worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproofed steel-framed buildings. Most recently, he worked on the construction documents for a $400 million mixed-use urban project with a $1.2 million, or sorry, 1.2 million square feet of retail parking structure and 322,000 square feet of mid-rise office space altogether, about with 1,200 tons of steel framing. And he has a, uh, a new documentary out. He'll be uh, presenting it, the Canadian theatrical premiere of 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. September the 7th at the Toronto Underground Cinema at 9.30 p.m. Tickets available, as I said, from Conspiracy Culture. And uh, we're very pleased to have Richard Gage back here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hi, Richard. Doing good. Great to be back with you again. Uh, t- well, tell me about the uh, the journey uh, that started uh, about 10 years ago to, well, less actually. It took you a while, I guess, to sort of, uh, as you've pointed out on a number of occasions, to uh, to finally start connecting some dots. But w- w- tell me about the journey that has led to this film. Yes. Uh, well, uh, five years ago, I was on my way to a construction site observation, and I heard on the radio for the first time alternative information about 9-11, and it just floored me because uh, I, I had never heard, um, uh, uh, you know, about these so-called conspiracy theories, and that's not what I was hearing about then either, actually. I was hearing scientific forensic evidence that we didn't have in the official reports, uh, and, I'm, and we're talking about a third skyscraper 
for instance, uh, that fell down uh, into its own footprint almost uh, in the afternoon of 9-11 that hardly any architects and engineers, including myself, knew uh, anything about. Um, so this, this uh, started my eyes opening. I mean, we, we have uh, evidence also, a very explosive evidence of the Twin Towers destruction uh, on 9-11 that, that uh, has been uh, avoided and misrepresented and uh, ejected out of the official reports. So five years ago, I started this organization, uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, because we had uh, uh, scholars for 9-11 Truth, we had veterans for 9-11 Truth, uh, all kinds of 9-11 Truth groups. Um, but where were the architects and engineers, those who design buildings and, uh, and engineer them? So uh, now we have 1,500 uh, today calling for a new investigation uh, of all of this evidence that we're going to be discussing, and it has is, really been quite a journey. Uh, this was my full-time effort for the last uh, three years now, and it is, it is extraordinary. I've been to 23 different countries speaking to groups of 100 to 700, and Interestingly enough, at the beginning of these presentations, uh, we do a show of hands, and that those who are skeptical of our position, uh, by the end of the evening, 80 to 90 percent of them are no longer skeptical. Uh, uh, they're, they're they're joining us and calling for a new investigation. Talk to me about That's, the uh, the film, uh, Richard. Uh, tell me about some of the experts that uh, are I- interviewed in this documentary. Yes, we have high-rise architects. Uh, several, uh, at least half a dozen, uh, talking about uh, their concerns about the official story, the evidence that uh, is is now available to everybody who doesn't listen to <laughs> listens outside of CNN, uh, etc., Fox News. Um, we have structural engineers um, of the 60 or so, uh, you know, petition signers. We interview another half dozen, at least, of them. We have metallurgical engineers, chemistry and chemical engineers, uh, with explosives experts. So we've gathered uh, all of these uh, high-profile people, some who are in the top in their field, um, together, uh, and and they're they're laying out the evidence. It's it's no longer you know just uh, Richard Gage speaking uh, in the uh, DVD that we've had now uh, or. Our, uh, our milestone uh, project that's been out there for three, three or four years. Uh, so th- this is this is very exciting. We also have psychologists, half a dozen of them, uh, discussing why it's so difficult uh, to uh, digest, uh, uh, to, to take in this information and accept it, and to do anything with it. Uh, people don't want to hear about alternative theories about 9-11 by and large, and, and this discusses that resistance. Uh, and we also hear from the family members who are backing us, calling for a new investigation. What's uh, new uh, in terms of uh, the research? Let's talk about the, um, the nanothermite in the dust. Is there anything... I mean, have any peer-reviewed articles been have been published on this? You know, the, the skeptics are always saying, well, if it's not in a peer-reviewed article, I don't want to look at it. I, I mean, is someone really 
drilling down on the on on these dust samples and 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 writing about it in a peer-reviewed journal uh, oh yeah definitely well first of all let's let's tell everybody what we're talking about here in addition to the very explosive nature of the twin towers uh we have uh, uh found by the usgs in all of their samples a small previously molten iron microspheres. And we'll talk about this first because it is, they have no idea where they came from. Up to 6% of these dust samples uh, throughout the uh, World Trade Center dust uh, are composed of these. Well, how did they get so uh, uh, round? They're obviously, uh, they were obviously molten. And since they're iron, we know what the temperatures are that they emerged from, and we're talking about well over 3,000 degrees. Well, God, uh, office fires and jet fuel only get to be about half of that temperature. So they have no uh, place in the official story because they have, the official story cannot possibly account for them. So uh, there's no explanation. They're simply they're just not discussed in the NIST reports. NIST is the National Institute for Standards and Technology. So they omit it. Um, and, but as another group of international scientists led by Niels Harrit from Copenhagen, PhD uh, scientists, all of them, uh, find in the samples that they, were, that they collected independently from each other from different parts of lower Manhattan, some on top of skyscrapers, all of it in, in, the, in this dust, they find these small red-gray chips, uh, they're about a sixteenth of an inch long, a couple of millimeters, the, the biggest ones. And the, the red layer is composed of fascinating uh, small particles that are a thousand times smaller than the human hair. They're intimately mixed iron oxide and aluminum particles in the perfect percentage that makes up thermite. Uh, the, this is, uh, they're set in an organic bed of oxygen, silicate, carbon. Uh, this is material that is the most sophisticated material that, that, is, that is made for military-grade incendiaries and can be engineered to make explosives. So uh, we're not looking at something, this, these chips were not manufactured somehow in the fall of the towers from the steel beams and the aluminum panels. Uh, only in the most sophisticated advanced defense contracting laboratories uh, do we have this stuff manufactured. We're talking so about super thermite. This is what they're calling super yeah, it, thermite. Yeah, it's called super thermite or nanothermite, and it is a, it's a fascinating um, material that, that we, 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 we should not be found in the dust samples. And guess what? When they put this material in a heater at about 420 degrees centigrade, it ignites and gives off about uh, twice that amount of temperature uh, in, in small iron microspheres. So we know darn well where all those spheres came from that the USGS and other environmental firms uh, documented quite carefully. 
Richard, let uh, me introduce a, 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 a friend, a colleague uh, who happens to be with me tonight. He's, uh, he runs a, a news service called Zeland uh, News Service. His name is Victor Vigiani, and he's chomping at the bit for a question here. I just, there's a couple of questions that I need to ask, Richard. First of all, the initial um, assessment by, by people who have um, investigated this way back when, I'm talking you know, six to eight years ago, um, you know, Judy Woods, so on and so forth, uh, and other, other, um, other people, um, how does their initial research um, uh, match up with the current research that's going on that you're investigating? That, that, that's my first question. Well, there are a number of people who are doing research and have different theories about what happened mm-hmm. at the Twin Towers. Um, due to the very explosive nature of the towers, including a uh, hundred witnesses recorded by the New York Times, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the Fire Commissioner Thomas Von Essen, of of explosions at the onset of the destruction and before as well as uh, after. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, we, we, have, we have documented evidence of explosions. We have documented evidence of molten metal seen by the first responders flowing like lava, they describe, in the basements of the Twin Towers and in the pile of World Trade Center 7. And this, and this extreme temperatures that are documented by the spheres and, and, uh, that these chips uh, produce under experimental conditions. This is all evidence that leads us to the hypothesis of explosive demolition by uh, uh, thermite or, and or nanothermite and probably high explosives as well. Um, so when other people come along, um, like you mentioned Professor Woods, with other theories that completely deny the set of evidence that is uh, that I just went over that mm-hmm. is very carefully documented in our DVD called 9/11 Blueprint for Truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't take it on seriously whatsoever because it denies this this scientific forensic evidence that that is so carefully documented by others. So I hope that answers your question. Mm-hmm. In addition, we have a four-page paper that responds to the. Uh, the uh, uh, theory produced by Dr. Wood that um, that this is uh, a result of directed energy weapons. Okay. Who are the um, the the whistleblowers right now that are sitting on the sidelines? And I don't know if you've talked to them and and whether you are active in trying to convince them to speak out. I mean, are there are there highly placed individuals inside the government that are are anxious to to speak out about this, but for obvious reasons, uh, feel they cannot. They need some cajoling. They need some. Uh, I mean, do you know such people? Are they out there? Um, I'm sure they're out there. They have to be out there. The evidence uh, suggests that somebody set these explosives, and it probably wasn't Al Qaeda because Al Qaeda probably didn't have access to these buildings. So uh, we very, very highly secure buildings that are obvious terrorist targets. Uh, so uh, we want an investigation that includes uh, not only um, the, the security company, because we're talking about several tons of explosives, uh, up, perhaps up to 100 tons, um, because uh, these chips in the, in the percentages that they're found in the samples amount to uh, perhaps up to 10 tons uh, throughout the, all the World Trade Center dust, and that's of unignited chips, 
and the, and the spheres themselves are another 10 tons of the results of ignited thermite or nanothermite. Uh, so we know that the security company uh, probably would have had, we assume, that they would have had access. So we want an investigation of them, not only them, but Ace Elevator, because Ace Elevator had the modernization contract that went on the nine months prior to 9-11. So that would have given an, an undercover operation access to the elevator shafts, which is immediately adjacent, of course, to the core columns and beams in the building. Do we have a list uh, of employees, so, uh, uh, excuse me, Richard, a list of ACE elevator employees uh, that were working? I'm not an investigator. I certainly don't. Uh, but uh, this is obviously an important task for those who are professionals in such things. But there were 85 employees of ACE elevator in the buildings at the time of the first impact, and these are experts in the rescuing system, the, the cabs, the elevator cabs, and yet they fled. They, they're, they often pride themselves on helping the elevator, the, the firefighters, rescue the victims, uh, but they fled. It was really quite a scandal documented in USA Today shortly after 9-11. Uh, after Toronto's uh, screening, the, uh, what I understand is the Canadian theatrical uh, debut on um, Wednesday, September the 7th, 9.30 at the Toronto Underground uh, Cinema. Uh, where are you taking it to after that? We have uh, the Toronto hearings occurring in Toronto September 8th through the, the, through the 10th, I believe, or the 11th. Um, those are very important set of hearings uh, where experts will be laying out the evidence and it will be documented and provided to the U.S. and Canadian governments. Um, that uh, event um, may be sold out already. Um, then I'll be heading to New York uh, speaking at a couple of different conferences there. Well, one is our, our world premiere in New York uh, of the new film, 9-11 uh, Explosive Evidence, experts speak out. And then we'll be speaking also at the Liberty Fest conference put on by We Are Change New York uh, in, uh, in, New York, in New York City somewhere. <laughs> I'll, I'll find out. Um, and, and then we have another conference at 57 Walker Street on the afternoon of 9-11. I don't have a name for it yet. And there is uh, another debate that is happening uh, between myself and physicist Dave Thomas and physicist uh, Richard Muller from the UC Berkeley. I'll be joined by Niels Harrett, uh, chemical engineer, uh, PhD, from uh, University of Copenhagen, I believe, yes. Uh, Richard, ten years on, as we approach the tenth anniversary, what I mean in talking with uh, just the common people and the emails you receive, uh, how do you gauge sort of the mood? I mean, is this a, a nation divided on this issue? Uh, um, are people um, tired of the discussion? Do they just want it to go away? Are more people waking up? How would you characterize uh, the mood of the people? Well, we just produced. Uh a fascinating little documentary on World Trade Center 7. It's 15 minutes long. It's narrated by Ed Asner. It's really quite well done and interviews some of the experts in our upcoming film. We released it a week ago, 
and it already has 170,000 views on YouTube, which is an extraordinary uh, level of uh, participation uh, um, well beyond the 9-11 truth movement. Uh, so we're, I would have to say that it's picking up uh, based on evidence like that. But if you look at, is there an investigation yet? Is the media covering this? Um, you know, other than uh, Geraldo, uh, uh, at large a segment uh, on Fox News for 10 minutes in November, we, we just don't have much uh, exposure. People are resistant to it, uh, and uh, we get into that in our film uh, as to what the reasons are and how to overcome that with people that any of us might talk to about this subject. Uh, they're not, are they tired of talking about it? Uh, they're going to be, there's going to be a lot more talk about this. It's not going away. It is picking up. There are millions joining the truth movement, the 9-11 truth movement every, every year. Um, there are people in the streets and every, uh, and, and the 11th of the month in every major metropolitan area. So, uh, it is picking up. It is slow. Uh, our, our donations and our petition signers on our website continue to grow. That website is ae911truth.org. So by those uh, metrics, we're, we're gaining ground. All right. And in the meantime, we have the Canadian theatrical premiere September the 7th of 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. That's at the Toronto Underground Cinema, 9.30 p.m. Again, Wednesday, September 7th. Tickets already on sale through Conspiracy Culture. Log on to conspiracyculture.com or you can call them at 416-916-1696. And uh, Richard, looking forward to seeing you there. You'll be in attendance answering questions. Indeed, I'll be there and I'll look for you too, Richard. All right, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Richard Gage. Victor Vigiani from Zealand uh, News Service, thank you for sticking around. It's always a pleasure being here. All right. Thank you to Griff. Uh, We'll see you uh, next week. We'll talk about fluoride in the water. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.